Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got Mike Jones with me, Coach Jones, really. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Bailey. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us a little bit of background on yourself and where you grew up and and how you kind of got to where you are today. Sure, no problem. So uh, you announced it very well. My name is Mike Jones. I grew up in Oklahoma City. I'm actually living on the East Coast now. I never thought I'd be an East Coast guy, but uh, I grew up on the East side of Oklahoma City, um, rough neighborhood, you know, weathered the storm, found a way to um, go to Cassidy Preparatory School, and uh, which is a big time uh, private school in Oklahoma City. Ended up graduating from there. And uh, from there, I ended up becoming the first person to graduate from college in my whole entire family. So that's something that I'm super, super proud of. Now I have a niece that's uh, graduated from OU, got her bachelor's, her master's, and now she's uh, studying to become a lawyer. She's uh, um, at law school at uh, OCU. So, so you know, that I think, you know, by her seeing, I guess, me go through what I went through, and um, now she's uh, she's on that same path. So my goal is just to try to help my family uh, just see that there's a better way out. Absolutely. I, I love Oklahoma City. Um, I'll go back every summer to see my family and friends and everything like that. But uh, now I'm here living on the East Coast and uh, it's, 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 it's different, but it's, it's fun at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, talk on, on that going to college. You didn't have anybody in your family that had gone. Who are some people that you looked up to that kind of allowed you to see like, hey, you could go do this and have that kind of mindset? Right. So um, when I first went to so rewind, so when I was in public school system, I was a really good student. I was an A and B student, and then, uh, you know, the academic rigor from public school to private school is a little different. So it took me my first year a little time to get adjusted to the uh, academic setting. And at first, you know, I kind of wanted to, you know, throw in the towel and, and do something that I was comfortable doing and something that I knew. But it was something inside of me to say, you know, just stick with it. I spoke to uh, Mr. John Shelley, uh, Brad's dad, which he was your former coach, uh, you know, just told me, it's like, look, you know, life. It's going to be tough, you know, but you can't quit, you know, and my family, my parents were behind me. And, you know, so I just, you know, went through that year. That year was the most difficult year academically that I ever had in my whole entire life. But I think it was just an adjustment period. You know, I had to be get used to being uncomfortable. But once I, like I said, once I weathered the storm and uh, that next year I did a lot better next year, next year, and I ended up, you know, becoming, becoming a pretty good uh, mentor and, and person. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about basketball. Obviously, basketball and sports were pretty impactful in your life growing up. And then you went to Cassidy. How did that kind of transpire? And how did you wind up deciding to get into basketball instead of any other sport? Right. So football was my first love. So I grew up playing football, loving football. Uh, I was a dual sport athlete. Actually, I played three sports, football, basketball, and I ran track. Um, and one day, I, uh, so I was in middle school and a buddy of mine, we uh, took the city bus over to, um, so we lived on the east side. We took the city bus from the east side to the west side of town and was just working out in this gym. And uh, some AAU coaches saw us 
we started playing AAU ball and just kind of just, you know, started from there. So that's how I was able to go to Cassidy um, through that situation. But, um, but then after that, you know, I just kind of still played football, basketball and track. And then, you know, once I started getting recruited, I got recruited in football and basketball. But more, I had more interest in uh, basketball. So I was like, all right, I think I'm just going to shift. But I played all the way up. I mean, I played all the way through uh, high school, football, basketball, and track, and end up, you know, going to NEO first. I started off at NEO. I was an undersized uh, big back back then. You know, I used to post up all that stuff, which is crazy about <laughs> now. So I was an undersized big, and I think I had a lot of interest from a lot of D1 schools, but they, I don't think they really knew if I could make that transition from, you know, playing inside to outside. So I went to JUCO. And ended up, you know, becoming a JUCO All-American and end up just, you know, having a pretty good career at NEO, which, you know, I'm thankful of uh, Lonnie Spencer, who, um, who who was a really good coach and uh, just kind of guided me the right way and then end up, you know, going to TCU and uh, and all that good stuff. So somebody's trying to get into the, <laughs> to the gym. It's one of the football coaches, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, for everyone that's probably wondering, how, how tall are you to be a big? Uh, I'm 6'3". 6'3". So that's no. you're pretty big, big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 6'3", man. Back then I was 6'3", 205. Now I'm 6'3", 230. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I a little pounds, but I'm still in pretty good shape, I guess. Yeah. So you go to NEO for two years, become an All-American. How did you wind up at TCU? So um, so I was getting recruited by Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, Billy Tubbs was recruiting me at the time, but then – that year I went to uh, NEO, he ended up, I guess, getting released from his duties at OU. So then he was, you know, kind of like on the back burner. Calvin Sampson came in and I met with a couple of, I met with Calvin Sampson, a couple of his assistant coaches, and they just seemed kind of lukewarm because <clears throat> initially the whole time I kind of wanted to go to OU, but uh, Calvin Sampson seemed kind of lukewarm at the time. And then, so I went to OU, I mean, went to, I went to OU for a visit, went to TCU, I went to, uh, Hey, it's been a minute. OU, TCU, <laughs> Wisconsin. Um, I can't remember the other two schools, but who was the coach at Wisconsin? Was it? Uh, it, coach was Bennett? Bennett. it was Bennett. It was yeah, Bennett. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Dick Bennett was the coach there. Uh, <clears throat> and I went to TCU. I felt like it was the best choice because I was familiar with Coach Tubbs being an Oklahoma City boy and uh, knowing the style of play, knowing exactly what they wanted to do. And um, Coach Lonnie Spencer's his style was a little slow. So Coach Spencer was uh, he coached under um, Eddie Sutton at Oklahoma State. So it was you know more you know down screens, pick and pops, and all that stuff, kind of slow paced, methodical. But you know I could play both styles. So when when I had an opportunity to go to TCU, I felt like it would open me up and uh, you know give me the best opportunity to be successful out of all the schools that recruited me. So I had went to TCU and had a phenomenal time, man. Um, you know, playing for Coach Tubbs, you know, he just passed away, but uh, he was a great mentor, wonderful coach. Miss Tubbs was excellent, so I think that was the best decision that I made. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a good coach to to play under for sure. Exactly, exactly. And and back when you were down there, you had some. I mean, you're very humble about it, but you had some really really good seasons while you were at TCU. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I don't know if there are there records for sure for how many points in a game. You had yeah, a couple uh, couple games I, where you had 40-plus, right? <laughs> yeah, so I had a few. Well, I think it was like five or six games of 40-plus. I had one game of 51 points. Okay, there we go. 50-plus, not 40. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah, to. I, I had one, that's, I, one game <laughs> of 51. I had uh, maybe five or six games of 40, 
and over. But the game I had 51, the game before that I had 40, 45 or 46. 45, I think, in that game. Okay. For the 51 game. So in two games, I almost scored 100 points, which is kind of crazy now that I think think about it. But um, it was just the style of play. Coach Tubbs, you know, gave me a lot of freedom, a lot of confidence, you know, and he was like, if you feel like you can make the shot, take it. And uh, and, and I just felt like empowered by that. So I ended up, um, you know, having a great time there. We ended up having a really, really good team. Uh, I think we were the first team ever to go undefeated in the WAC. We went 14-0. I think that year we were 20 27 and three or 23 and seven. I can't remember it. It was one of those records, but, um, and, you know, it, it was just the style of play was fun. The energy was great in the, in the arena. It was just a great time to be a, a horn frog back then. Absolutely. Yeah. And those are some, some fun memories, I'm sure. But talk a little bit about, you said he, he gave you some confidence on how to play. Talk about confidence growing up and playing basketball, playing sports. Did you naturally have a confidence about your, your game or just who you were? As a person, or is that something that grew over time? Uh, I think it grew over time, but I was always a naturally confident kid growing up, from what I can remember. Um, you know, my, my whole thing is when I played the game, I just wanted to try to be the hardest worker, even though some people consider me the best player. I never did really feel like I was so-called the best. I just wanted to go out and just outwork my opponent. You know, and I think I learned that from, you know, watching my mom wake up early in the morning and uh, go to her job. She had to be there like at five. My dad, you know, he had his own, um, he had a, like an MG Jones service company, which is like a handyman job. So he had to wake up, you know, pretty early and do his job. And my oldest sister used to walk, we used to walk to school together or walk to the bus stop. And uh, just seeing my parents go out and work extremely hard each and every day, you know, I just didn't look at myself as someone who was, you know, super talented or, you know, the, the best athlete ever. I just looked at myself as, when I step on a court and when I put my mind to it, I'm going to outwork every single person I come against. And uh, and I feel like I, I try to do that every time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for you, talking about your story a little bit, it's easy for a lot of people to think when they see athletes that have played professionally or even college or even a high-level high school athlete to look at them and say, you know what, they're just naturally God-given athletic potential and they're, they're great great athletes because of who they already are but there's so much behind the scenes that people don't get to see of, of how hard people work. And that's something that in order to be the best at whatever craft you have, you got to work at it. You got to work really hard and you got to be smart too. But that hard work ethic is instilled obviously through a variety of, of, of things, but your parents were obviously influential in your life and, and taught you the value of hard work. And you carry that over into obviously your craft of playing basketball. So one thing that I want to talk about real quick I don't know if I ever told you this. I think I might have a while back, but when I was getting into coaching, you know, I was reading everything I could, books by all different coaches. And I came across Rick Majerus's book and I'm reading through it and I'm looking in the pictures and all of a sudden it's a USA basketball picture. And I'm like, Hey, that, that's coach Jones. <laughs> so yeah. talk about uh, that experience just being on the USA basketball team. That, that was a wonderful experience and, and rest in peace, uh, Rick Majerus as well. Uh, you know, that experience, so I uh, I had a really good junior year at TCU. Um, I had a phenomenal game. I think it was against Fresno State where I had 44, 10, and 9, I believe. And it was supposed to – I mean, it was against Chris Herring, who was supposed to be, like, the top guard in our in our um, conference at the time. Which he was the one that had the ESPN documentary right, right, uh, right. over the Celtics yeah. and obviously had exactly. some issues. But I told myself, I said, there's no way, you know, that I'm going to let anybody say that – 
you know, he's the best guard. I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna leave an impression on everybody today. Yeah. So I just had that mindset and I went in. But um going back to the USA team, so I got the in invitation uh right after the season. And um I didn't even know, you know, that was my first time ever getting selected for something like that. When I was in high school, I, I was the player of the year in the state of Oklahoma. But you know, the USA team is something you think about in a far distance, but you don't never know if you can uh, obtain that goal. So once I got the envelope, I was so excited. I looked, I, you know, I told Coach Tubbs, he was like, well, you know, when you go out there, just play your game. So I went out there and it was uh, 60, they, they selected 64 people to come out and uh, work out for the team. And um, and lo and behold, I got selected, you know, out of that team, out of 64 college players. And it was like from freshmen all the way through seniors. And so, you know, it was a great opportunity. I came out and was, I probably played extremely well. But the one thing I credit that to is that I stayed in shape the whole entire time. Like as a, I'm a little obsessed with this. Like I would always try to be the in, in most, in best shape. You know what I mean? I, I wanted to run, 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 run. So I was like, all right, if I wanted to play at a high level, I got to always stay in shape. So, um, you know, being in shape helped me because the altitude up there is really high, the air is thin. Mm -hmm. And guys was just like, you know, catching cramps and, you know, breathing all heavy, but I was just steady, just up and down. You see me play, I was just like, shh, shh, shh. Yeah. like the wind. And uh, and I got selected to play on the team. And, um, you know, Rick Majerus, he's a great excellent old guy, totally different from uh, Coach Tubbs. So I got to learn some new things um, about the game of basketball, which I, uh, so one thing he uh, taught us, we all had to walk around with a journal, with a book. And, uh, write down the plays, he'll, he'll tell us to us a couple of times, he'll have them on the board, we have to write them down. And if he, if he comes to you, if he calls on you, you better know exactly what to do and exactly what to say. If he didn't, he would <laughs> lie to you so bad, man. So I was always like, oh, he's not gonna call me. So I'm not gonna be the one to mess up. So I, I always took, you know, pride in like making sure that I knew where everybody was on the court and what, especially what I needed to do. But um, but yeah, it was it was a great experience on that, uh, on that USA team. I think I was the second leading scorer on that team behind uh, Pat Garrity. Uh, which is still, I think he's um, working in the NBA right now. But, uh, but yeah, it was it was it was a great, great uh, opportunity. We got to travel to uh, New Zealand and Australia. Oh uh, man, those are two two great places to go to go play exactly. basketball in for sure. And what a great experience over, overall. But was Coach uh, wasn't Coach Romar on that staff too? Yeah, yeah. Coach uh, Lorenzo Romar was on there. Coach Jim Cruz. Uh, Sean Miller, who is now, I think, one of the top guys in USA basketball. Now he was just starting off, starting out there. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to see. I don't really consider myself that old. I, I think I still look young, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a long time, man. It's been a yeah. Long time. Well, yeah. What well, an experience. So after you went to college, uh, you had an opportunity to play professionally. How did that come about and where did you wind up going to play? Right. So to, at the end of my senior year, I uh, was getting recruited by a lot of agents now, sports agents. And uh, this was in 1998. So this was like during the right before everybody knew the lockout was going to happen. So I worked out for uh, Houston Rockets, Dallas, San Antonio, and I had something scheduled to go to uh, Dem I mean Detroit and uh, Miami. But that's when the lockout hit. So they canceled all the workouts. And then so I was just happy to get those three workouts in and uh, end up uh, they end up pushing everything through so you know they end up still having a draft I didn't get drafted which I was so disappointed because Rick Majerus was you know one of those guys who were who was advocating for me during that time and uh I was I'm trying to find that tape I can't find that clip but I got so excited because you know how now that I watch the draft now but before then I never really paid attention to the draft but 
now that, you know, uh, Rick and Judge is like, yeah, it's a couple kids out there that's really good. You know, Mike Jones from TCU, he hasn't been selected yet, but, you know, he should, you know, be coming up next. And so I just knew I was going to get a job. I'm just sitting there. I didn't have any, like, big elaborate party because, you know, I'm not really a, a showboater type guy. So I was like, man, it's my turn. But then when I didn't get it, I was so, so disappointed, so hurt because I knew I put in the work. But, you know, I didn't let that, you know, stop me from uh, achieving my goal of playing professionally. So I ended up... Um, playing my first year in Poland with uh, Steve Wojciechowski, who was the coach at Marquette, and also Richard Dumas, who was from Tulsa. Uh, you know, an idol that we all looked up to back in the day. Uh, great guy, you know, Richard taught me a lot. Um, so I ended up playing my first year there. I ended up doing a total of 11 years. So I did uh, one year in uh, Poland, one year in China, five years in France, uh, three years in Turkey, uh, two years in Iran, but all the while I was, uh, Played in the CBA a couple times, played on uh, NBA summer league teams, did really well in that. And, um, you know, I just try to just take advantage of, of the moment. And one thing that I love about, you know, being in Europe and playing abroad is just like, I really try to just dive into the culture, really learn the culture, uh, just experience it. Cause just being a, you know, a country boy from Oklahoma is just, you know, one of those things I was like, man, I, I just want to just immerse myself into this, um, into this environment and really, and I, I, I really enjoyed every single moment of, of my stay abroad. What were some of your favorite places that you stayed abroad? So, um, Istanbul was probably my favorite place to play in Turkey because the league was uh, full of Americans. And then a lot of the teams were all around Istanbul and you only had to travel a little bit. And then we also played EuroLeague with, I played for Fenerbahce, which is one of the better teams in Europe. Uh, we traveled all over. Um, we went to Russia, Spain, Italy, Greece. So, and played, you know, EuroLeague games there, but then, France, I'm, I'm fond of France because I really try to pick up um, the language. So I can speak a little <laughs> bit of French, <laughs> but uh, I forgot a lot. But um, but yeah, France was, was really nice because, uh, you know, for my 30th birthday, I went down to Saint-Tropez, to Cannes, um, and just kind of hung out. That's, a, that's a, you know, Marnie Carlo was a, was a really cool um, spot to go to. Um, but yeah, so I would say my top two was probably France and, uh, and Istanbul, Turkey. Oh yeah. Two, two beautiful places for oh, sure. Man. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. And you get to play basketball doing it. So know, right? what a great experience. Such a blessing. Such a blessing. Yeah. So you decided eventually to kind of retire from playing professionally. Uh, how did you get into coaching and why did you get into coaching? So when, when I retired, I, um, the year before I retired, I met my girlfriend now wife, uh, for 11, 12 years now, but, um, I wanted to like make an impact. So, uh, when I first retired, I started working for this group called Concerned Black Men. It's um, a, a, a mentoring group in D.C. where we go to all the inner city um, schools around D.C. and just mentor young young men and women, uh, which was which was pretty cool. And I was like, man, you know, kids would kind of gravitate to me. You know, I um, was you know just had a good time. Was just really genuine with them. I think they could kind of feel that and understand. So then. Uh, I did that for a year and then I was like, I really want to get into coaching. So then I think that's when I came down to Tulsa and uh, linked back up with my, with my good friend, Brad Shelley. Uh, we had the opportunity to work at, um, in the missions at Tulsa, which was really cool. Worked with Mr. Hart, which was, you know, a funny guy, really, really nice man. Um, and uh, got to coach you guys for what, a year? A summer, yeah, season, half. our senior year, yeah. Senior year, yeah, it was, uh, it was good, man. It was, it was good. So that, and then once, once I um, had that opportunity to coach at Hall and Hall, I was like, yeah, I can do this, you know, um, 
and then I've just been coaching ever since. Mm-hmm. And you were in, in college coaching for a little bit, weren't you? Yeah, so um, I started out uh, at Creighton University as a grad assistant, uh, one of the top assistants at TCU at the time. Uh, he ended up getting a job at Creighton, and then once I, you know, we still, you know, stay connected. So I told him, look, I'm thinking about retiring. I want to get into coaching, and then um, he plugged me in with uh, with Coach Altman, and I did one year. And uh, so I was looking at as a grad assistant, I was going to get my master's in uh, college counseling, which was, which was pretty cool. But then that year was chaotic because Coach Altman ended up getting the job to Oregon, which he is now at Oregon doing a fantastic job. But uh, so we ended up going to Oregon. So, and I had my son, my oldest son, Major, who was then at the time three months old. So I was like, man, I can't go to Oregon. I can't, you know, be that far away. So then I just went back. And then that's when I started coaching with you guys. Yeah. What did you learn from Coach Alt- Altman in that time that you were there? Um, Coach Altman was, I think he was a really good X and O's, uh, very passionate uh, coach, fiery. He, he gave some really good speeches. But uh, I think I just learned j- just how he would, tweak certain sets, you know, during, during the game or make, you know, he, he was known for making pretty good adjustments. So I just really tried to pick up on that um, about him. Yeah, absolutely. So you, also you, you got to work uh, in the Brooklyn Nets organization with them for a little while. Yeah. How did that experience come about and what was that like? So that was a real cool experience. So with, you know, between my 11 years of playing overseas, I ended up playing for coach Hollins uh, for the Las Vegas Bandits. So how it worked was, I think I played a whole year in China, came back and played summer league with the Mavericks. So I was playing like a year and a half around. I mean, I played a year around for sure. So the whole league in China was just six months, came back, started working out with the Mavericks, working out with the Mavericks, played summer league with the Mavericks, played really well. I think I averaged 20 points in a uh, LA summer league out there. And now if you average 20 points in the summer league, you're getting a multi-million dollar contract, but it was different <laughs> back then. Uh, so, uh, uh Played uh, so then I met Coach Hollins. We ended up having a, a really good relationship. He said, "Look, I, I'm you know I think he was just leaving um, Vancouver. He's like I like the way you play. I like your game. You know I would love for you to try out for my team. So we end up I end up trying out for the team. And then he was like, "Man, you this close to making it to the league? Just keep you know keep going." And it's funny because it's two dude. One dude got called up from our from our team, uh, Eddie Gill. I think he ended up playing like. Um, five or six years in the league, I think. maybe more than that. And then, uh, I don't know if you remember Rajah Bell. Oh yeah. Rajah Bell was Phoenix. Phoenix son. So we played together on the CBA team, I think a couple, a year after that. So, but all the while Coach Holland was like, man, you're so close. You, I think you can be an NBA player. And then, so, you know, he ended up getting a, a Memphis job the year after that. So then I was still keeping contact with him when, when I was overseas, letting him know, look, my stats, I'm averaging 25. And this, I think you need a shooter, man. You need somebody that can score the ball. <laughs> he would always like hit me back and be like, man, he was like, man, you serious about this game? I was like, oh yeah, I'm serious. But uh, so make a long story short, we, we just kept a relationship going over the next five or six years. And then when I was a, uh, coaching in D.C. and working at, uh, as a dean of students at a private, I mean, at a, a charter school in D.C., he hit me up and was like, look, I may have opportunity. It's, uh, I may uh, get opportunity to coach the Brooklyn Nets. I would love to have you on my staff, you know, if, if you can uh, make it work with your wife. And then, you know, we made it work. So that was an unbelievable two-year experience right there. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was cool. And one thing you were telling me, too, is it wasn't – it was an unbelievable experience, but also – you know, it wasn't wasn't necessarily easy, I don't think. Oh, you man. Said, oh, you said man. your family was staying in D.C. and then you were working up in Brooklyn. So 
Right. Um, yeah, that, that part was very difficult because at that time I, I had two young boys, Major and Maverick, and I think my wife and I, we've been married for seven to eight years. And she knew, you know, she married a true basketball player, dude, passionate about the game. But um, so she let me go in a, you know, cause I was, I just painted the picture. Like, look, we sacrificed for a little bit. And the big picture is we're going to be, you know, taken care of for the rest of our life. So my goal was to try to stay in the NBA and just, you know, climb the ranks, kind of like Eric Spolster. So when I started breaking down a film, I took it serious. You know, I mean, I learned it. You know, I could code, code the game by watching the game and just coding, you know, and uh, the, the stressful part about, you know, when you're in a video, when you're a video coordinator in the NBA is you have to code the game live. You have like the hot keys you have to hit, right? But you have to have it. You code the game live, but you have to pick bits and pieces of, you know, when people mess up, when people do good things, and you got to make a clip. So when you hear the halftime horn, when, when the guys are walking to the locker room, the video guys back there working frantically, trying to piece up everything together and then have it looped and ready to go when the guys walk into the room. So it's stressful, but, you know, I just took it as a challenge, you know, and it was, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful um, experience for me. So now when I'm coaching the game, the game is so slow, I can see things happen you know, maybe five or six plays before it even, you know, take place. And I can put kids in the right position to be successful. Um, and I credit that to, you know, just watching so much game film of, uh, you know, when I worked in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you were moving up the ranks and obviously, um, you know, I, did they, they let Coach yeah, Collins yes. go? Yeah, did they bit? let Coach Collins go? Um, uh, right, I remember like it was just they let him go right before the Christmas break, right? So when it, when we came back from Christmas break, Coach Hollins was gone. They brought in, uh, I mean, uh, T Tony Brown, who was the top assistant, lead assistant. They they moved him to head coach. So then he bumped me up from the video room up to uh, on the bench. So that right there, I was responsible for Phoenix, um, Philly, Utah Jazz. I think those are my three scouts. And um, you know, I, I just tried to like really just all my you know my mind and soul into it and try to become the best uh you know give the best scout possible i had uh a good guy teaching me uh steve jones which was um you know a, a good uh a good mentor in, in regards to like you know he taught me how to like code the game he taught me like what to look for you know how to how to like cut it just right and everything like that so that that was that, that was key to, to being successful and, and understanding like you know, the game, time and score, just the little nuances of the game, which, you know, helps me now immensely. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to touch on a few of those experiences you talked about. What was it like for you when you you have all this work that you put in, you want to get drafted, you don't get drafted? You know, how did you use that as fuel instead of let that get to you and, and not enable you to be successful? Man, I just uh... – Truthfully, Bailey, I just prayed about it, man, and was like, you know, I know that I'm a professional athlete. I know I should be in the NBA. But, you know, and I just try to go whichever team I played on and, and make the, the best out of that. But so what I what I always told myself that I just had to stay consistent and I had to be disciplined. Consistency and discipline. And and that's what I tell my players now. Like if you really wanna, you know, have something or you know, something that you wanna achieve in life. If you just stay consistent and disciplined, you, you're gonna you're gonna get it. You know what I mean? Because you're laser focused on that one task or that goal that you need to get to, and, and that's that's no other way I can think of it to to say it better. I was just disciplined, and I was consistent. You know what I mean? No matter what people were saying or how they you know felt about me, even though I felt like you know I was better than a lot of those guards, 
I just had to be true to myself and just just stay disciplined and consistent. Yeah, and that's another thing I was going to touch on is that you're sitting there, you're playing, you're, you're doing really well, but you, you're watching some of these guys that maybe you might be better than, but the timing of it maybe for them worked out better than maybe it worked out for you. And how do you not sit there and compare yourself to other guys that might get opportunities instead of you getting opportunity? I think you just touched on a little bit, just staying consistent, discipline. Yeah, because if you if you could really truly compare yourself to other people, you can fall you're gonna fall short. If somebody compare themselves to me, they may fall short. If I compare myself to somebody, I may fall short. So the my thing is I never really compare myself. I just be the best person I can be, move in my move in my space and try to bring, you know, peace and 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 uh and love in every single opportunity and just be super genuine. And I think, you know, you know, good things will definitely happen. Yeah. I mean, if I compared myself to you on the basketball court, I'd be real down all the time. <laughs> so uh, real quick, I see, I want to hear, do you have any experiences that you felt like shaped you growing up before you got into college that were really instrumental in, in the trajectory of your life? Yeah, just um, just growing up in the environment I came from, you know, it was uh, it was a very difficult environment. Um and I and I and I knew that I wanted something better. So the t- it was a very difficult decision because you know a lot of my friends, uh, you know, we went to middle elementary school together, middle school together. We had a really good middle school basketball team, and we were supposed to go to uh, our local high school, which was Northeast. It was either Northeast or Douglas, depending on how we were zoned. And you know, back then they had some decent basketball teams, but I was I was thinking. We all thought that we all were just gonna go to high school together, you know, ball out, and everybody go there. So when I came up with like, look, guys, I think I'm gonna go uh, to this private school. They, you know, they were so mad and disappointed at me, you know. And it, it, it was, and it was tough for me because I didn't know exactly what to expect going to this, you know, predominantly white school, you know, so different. I just knew that I wanted something better, you know what I mean. So I was willing to, you know, step out on faith and um, put in the work. And, and, you know, after I think my sophomore year, a lot of my friends were like, man, how can I get into the school? Uh, you know, can you, can you, you know, help me out or whatever? So it, it was one of those situations. I knew that I made the right decision after, after my first year there. I knew I made the right decision. Yeah, because well, that's one of those things is you can, you can look back and talk about it. But when you're in the moment, um, yeah, it was that, that's it a was tough difficult. thing. to that's a, that's a really tough thing to yeah, do when you got all your buddies tough. around you. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's something that uh, I think is really important. You know, we look back at our lives and we see these these uh, certain points in our lives sometimes that take us off in a different direction for right. the better, hopefully. Even if it's for the worse, you can learn from it. But those are some things that are really instrumental in looking back at your life and figuring out, you know, why did you do that? You know, what was your thought process like and how did it lead you to a, a better outcome in the future? So that's, that's an always an interesting question I like to ask and, and just see what your thoughts were on that. So what about favorite, uh, favorite experiences afterwards, like college and the NBA? Do you have any favorite uh, funny stories or favorite experiences? My, yeah. My favorite experience in college was the team goal that we had. Cause that year going into my senior year, we were like, we had, we could be really, really good. So we ended up winning the WAC and becoming the first team um, ever to, to be undefeated in the WAC. And then my individual was, uh, I think I averaged 21 or 22 that year, my senior year. And, um, and I, I think the highlight was scoring up, you know, the 40, 45 or 46 points one game and the next game having 51. I felt like back to back big, man. It was it was an unbelievable feeling. Like sometimes I would just shoot it and I just knew it was going in. It, it was it was kind of like a surreal experience. Yeah. 
Talk, talk about that too. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk about kind of being in the flow state or in the zone. Mm-hmm. Can you even describe what that is to you? Like yeah, what, so what is that? It's kind of tough because for me, it was like when, when I was playing and when I was in my groove, I get to my spots. When I, when I, you know, rose up, when I got the ball, like right here, it was just, I felt like it was on me to make a miss. I didn't see a hand. And then sometimes when I would shoot the ball, it just, I can just see it going in. I would like visualize it going in before it went in. It, it was, it's kind of hard to explain because a lot of people don't really see the game like that. But the shots I was shooting, it was just like, I knew it was going in. I could just shoot it and go down the court. I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable feeling. But I think that just come with putting in work day in and day out, day in and day out, knowing that, you know, shot, muscle memory, just shooting the ball. It just, just came and it flowed really nice. So talk about that. What was like a typical day like when you're you're playing basketball? How many hours did you put in per day? How many shots did you get up? What was that like? Well, when high school or or just kind of walk you through all yeah, of Yeah, just yeah, so maybe just start from high, high school, school. This is crazy. So in high school, I probably took only two three pointers my whole entire high school career. Just well, because you probably had you had a ball hog at point guard, right? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach Shelly. <laughs> well, I remember one time I, I I you know I was scoring the ball really well and I stepped out and shot a three. And I, I can't remember if I airballed it or just barely grazed the rim and the ball went out and then coach called a timeout and he called me over there. He's like, look, I don't ever want to see you shoot that ball again like that. <laughs> you attack the basket. So then that was my mindset then. And then, uh, but I knew eventually once I got to college, I would have to transition out. So when I was uh, at NEO, my roommate at the time, Rod Thompson, who you know very well, we would just wake up super early in the morning. I want to say five in the morning, maybe even earlier than that. 4.30, we'd go from, I would say, five to like seven before breakfast. Because I think breakfast, the doors open up at like 7.15, 7.30. So we'd go from five to seven, just shooting, 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 dribbling. I mean, it was just like, it was crazy. Sometimes we would just lose ourselves and then we'd just shoot, shoot, shoot and forget, you know, when we got class, we missed breakfast and everything. We'd just be in the gym, just locked in. And, um, from there, you know, I, I was, I think my first year at NEO, I probably shot it maybe like, you know, five or six threes, seven threes. My next year, I was shooting the, shooting the ball so well, I shot maybe 40, 50 threes, but shooting like 42%. And then at TCU, it just, you know, just continued to build. I think I ended up being, I know I shot 50% or 49% from two from uh, at TCU, and uh, I wanna say 38, 39% from three during that time. But uh, it's just putting in the work, man. So I went from being like a non-shooter, a straight, you know, driver and finisher to someone who had a total complete game. And it's just by putting in the work. I always tell my players now, the work is the work. You got to, you know, it is what it is. You got to put in the work if you want to be good. You know, you can't just do the bare minimum and expect big results. So I did a lot and I wanted, you know, the big results to come out of it as well. Yeah. Uh, what about guys when you were with the Nets? Were there any guys that, uh, just worked consistently more than anyone else. Oh man, he just got inducted to the uh, to the Hall of Fame, Ke- Kevin Garnett. So oh yeah, yeah. He um, so it, it's funny. So he brought so much energy to the to practice. You know, he would come in. You know, me and uh, the the man I mentioned, Steve Jones. We we would be in there cutting up film. He'd beat on the window. Yo, y'all come rebound for me or put me through a workout, you know. So we and, and this, I mean, he's already won, you know, a couple of chips with 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 Boston. But just his work ethic, his uh leadership, he was talking the whole time in practice, making sure everyone else was talking, holding guys accountable. And uh 
once he once they uh, traded him to back to Minnesota because he had to deal worked out where he was going to try to become like part owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Once soon the very day he left practice, practice was silent, practice was dead. Guys were like arguing over stuff, but he kept all that in check, and and that's that's the sign of, and I think that's something that that uh, transcend all three levels: high school, college, and the pros. Is you got to have players holding each other accountable because at the end of the day. And I realized this from being a player for so long. Sometimes coaches, as a coach, you want to talk, talk, talk. Coaches, the players become tone deaf to the coaches. But you don't become tone deaf to your, your partner who you're out there on the court, court with. And if you if you have teams that hold each other accountable every single possession, every single play, I mean, the sky's the limit for them. And that's why we had success here at St. Stephen's. We had teams where guys were just holding each other accountable. Now, we're going to put you in the right position as coaches. But at the end of the day, you know, your players have to be the one policing themselves and, and holding each other accountable. And, and KG did that to the utmost, man. He, he was he was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And talk about your experience now uh, coaching high school basketball. How's that, how's that been? And um, what are some things you've learned from just the experience now coaching? Oh, man. It's, I mean, the, the one thing I learned is I love this game of basketball, man. Whether when I played it, I loved it at a high level. But as a coach, I can sit back and just see a kid come in at a certain level like we had this one kid that came in, Andre Screen, he's now at Bucknell, came in, came in as a seventh grader, six four, six five. By ninth grade, he was six seven, six eight, couldn't do a push-up, could could barely, you know, hang on the rim. You know, he's just steady, got better, steady, kept putting in the work, putting in the work, putting in the work. And by his senior year, he's like dunking it, you know, blocking shots, rim running. I mean, he was phenomenal, got a full scholarship. You know, just seeing guys come in at this at this point, of, uh, you know, in their game and, you know, level of play. And then when they leave our program, they, you know, raise the level of play. That's something that gives me, like, great satisfaction. And then when they come back and, you know, just say, Coach, you know, thank you for just believing in me when I didn't believe in myself. Um, that makes me feel really good. So, I mean, coaching, you know, we had the last two years, I think I told you this when we were talking, we had we had a lot of success, man. We, we've sent uh, over 12 guys. Um, to either D1 or D2, I think a, a 10 to 10 to D, D1 and then two to D2. Um, just, you know, it, it's, you know, we find the guys we identified, talented, smart guys who can uh, do well in the classroom and on the court and then just continue to work and, and get them to the place where they need to go. So, I mean, it's, it's so rewarding, man, coaching the game. Yeah. And obviously you have a passion for it. You care about the guys and you want them to get better, not just as a player, but as a person too, which, makes a big difference, especially as a coach. Exactly. Makes players more in tune to listen to their coach than, than not. So that's a credit to you. Thank talk you. A, yeah, talk a little bit about, uh, real quickly, because I know you got to go, but, you know, your family, whenever you came out and were coaching me back when I was a senior in high school, you just had Major. He's a little guy. Now he's now he's getting big. What has family meant to you? And how is, you know, what, you know, what are some things that you feel like, um, you'd like to share that you can be a great husband great father, some of those characteristics. What does that look like? Well, you know, my parents have been married, my sister's now uh, 50. So my parents have been married almost 40, 49 years. And um, something that I learned from them and then something that I try to carry over now is just, you know, just, just try to be consistent. You know what I mean? Like really love up on your kids, even though sometimes, do you have kids yet, Peyton? Not yet, no, not yet. So even sometimes your kids, are, you know, get on your nerve. Like, so for Major, like, sometimes he would, 
just want to do what I asked him to do. You know what I mean? And it's, it's just that battle. And I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to love up on him and nurture him. And then uh, Maverick, he he's totally different from Major. So you got to – it's kind of like coaching a basketball team. You got to, like, you know, find out what what works best for your your child. And then with, with being married, you just have to be patient, have to be extremely patient, extremely loving, understanding, and, you know, just know that um, you're in it for the long haul, right? Uh, but having having two boys, man, it's a beautiful thing. Like, I, I'm, I'm able to, like, just really love up on them. I, I like, I love, like, trying to speak this positive affirmations to them. Like, man, you can do anything you want to do. You know, you just got to work. But the thing I always caveat that was, like, you, you can't do it. I mean, you can do it, but you have to put in the work. That's the key. Like you, you, you have, if this is the goal you want to set and this is what you want to do, you have, you have to work at it, man. You can't just wake up and say, I want to do it and do the bare minimum to do it. Uh, so man, I mean, it, it's, I'm still learning, you know, my wife and I, we've been married for 12 years and, you know, some days, you know, we, everything is going really, really well. And other days is, you know, crazy. <laughs> But you know me, I'm pretty laid back and it takes a lot mm -hmm. to get me kind of like riled up. But so I, I, I just, you know, just, I just try to be really patient and understanding, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. That's what I can like, I guess, share with your, with your viewers. Just those of you who are married with, with kids, just, just be patient. Don't, don't take things too personal. Uh, don't mm -hmm. take stuff too serious. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about your foundation. All right, so yeah, I have a, uh, the M. Jones Foundation. It's basically something who, what happened to me. So when I was in, you know, on transition from middle school to high school, I had a private donor donate money for me to go to Cassidy, right? And uh, that was for four years. And so my goal now is to do the same thing for kids that I identify, where they don't have to be athletes. You know, they can just, so we have something set up where if you if you can you know do the work if you're an outstanding student prior to you you know coming to meet me and meeting the you know foundation foundation stakeholders, if you can do the work and you you're willing to like you know put forth the best your best effort at a private school we're looking to fund you you know all through the years because I just feel like education is such a key component to people's success you know once you feel educated and if you come to I mean you can get a good education everywhere. I don't want to say, want to sound like private school is the only where to go to get a good education. We have really good public schools as well, but private schools, it's the opportunity to like lock in on, uh, on what you want to do. You can meet, meet people, figure out, you know, cause I just, let me just rewind. So when I went to Cassidy, I'll, before that, I just wanted to be a basketball player, basketball player, but I, I wanted to do something in sports. Right. But then when I went to Cassidy, I see parents, you know, this, doctors, lawyers, judges, um, have their own businesses. And so I'm like, man, it's, a, it's another way than just, you know, being an a entertainer, being a basketball player, playing athlete, you know, doing athletics. So that's what I kind of want to show kids. Like, look, there, there's other ways out, and especially down with social media and, and all this stuff. So you, you, you could be successful. You just got to, you know, pinpoint what you want to do, lock into it and stay laser focused and try to achieve that goal. So that, that's what the foundation is about, just trying to identify young, talented minority kids in the inner city and uh, give them an opportunity to, um, to go to a, to a private school. Yeah, and it's not just for D.C., right? You, you're thinking Yeah, yeah, all no, over. it's for the DMV. So I would, love, I would love to grow the organization where it's nationwide, but right now, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to the DMV. They call it D.C., Maryland, Virginia. It, they all touch each other. So you can – it's kind of like driving up 35 and you just – 
you know, you can be in Maryland one minute, DC one minute, and then Virginia the next. So it's it's crazy because I actually live in Maryland, but I work in Virginia, but I pass through DC to get to get to work. So it's this is it's it's crazy. You're just you're well traveled. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. You're doing that, and definitely we'll we'll put that uh, out there for people to listen to if they want to get in touch with you for that. How would they do that? You can go to um, mjonesfoundation.org. Or you can uh, uh, email me at mjones at sssas.org. That's awesome. my email, and I, I get directly to that. Yeah, so that's a, definitely a great cause, and it's awesome you're doing that. Real quickly, because I know we got to go, I want to do a little fire round for you, ask you okay. some questions. All right. And so uh, you can just finish the sentence. So favorite team? Man, I re- you know me, man. I really don't have a team. I just like players. So you I just like players. basketball players. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like basketball and football players. So I would say my two top players now is LeBron and uh, and Curry. But I'm, I'm a huge Damon Litter fan, too. Oh, yeah. Talk about being in the zone. All three of those guys oh, can get in the yeah, zone. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, relentless. When I hear the word relentless, I think of the book Relentless by Tim Grover. I read that book, man. That was a phenomenal book. The book uh, – changed my life man it was um i'm actually oh, reading yeah. that right now yeah. Yeah, actually that's a, really good book. that's a really good book man cleaners closures man this it's, it's great tough, right? it's i love that book i love that book uh, it's clean, uh, coolers closers and cleaners right yep, yep. Yeah, yeah yeah i'm a cleaner man but yeah I, <laughs> when i when i read that book i think of um like you can be a closer in one part of your life a cleaner and you know so it's just you gotta Find a way to just keep keep evolving, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. My mission is. My mission is to impact every single person I come in contact with. Uh, hopefully, I had an impact on you and your uh, on your high school team. But I mean, I think that's what I live for. I think that's what we're put on this earth for, just to bring some positivity, some love, some encouragement to to people. You know, and, and believing in them because you know all it takes is someone to be like, look, I believe in you, man. You know, and and then that goes a long way. So that's I'm put on this earth just to 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 help people reach their true potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, toughest guy or best player you ever had to play against? Oh man, so <laughs> I think I told you. So I played against Kobe, and he was phenomenal, man. Rest in peace, Kobe, man. He was. So when I was on the when I made the USA team, we went out to LA, and. Uh, Played in the LA Summer League. Our very first game was against Kobe, who had just got drafted. We're in high school. I mean, we're in we're in college. I think our uh, what junior year, going into our senior, year, and you know, Lakers bringing this guy who was just in high school. And we and Rick Majerus is talking about this guy. It's like, man, this guy's he think you know he he's really good. But I think we guys we we have a better team, and we're gonna show him. You know, the first play of the game, he called an alley oop, and it was just, I was like <laughs> crazy, man. He, he was so good back then and still, you know, was good then. Yeah. Uh, it all comes down to. It all comes down to believing in yourself. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you have to believe in yourself. Like, I, you know, when I didn't get drafted, I could have got discouraged. You know, when you didn't get things you want, you could have got discouraged. But you just got to find a way, find a way to shake it off, believe in yourself and just continue to work. Favorite NBA road trip? Oh, Miami, <laughs> man, of course, Miami. Miami, awesome. Oh, man, I love going to Miami. <laughs> okay. 
Is there a certain piece of advice you've shared some already, but is there a certain piece of advice you've received that um, has stuck with you? Um, one, from a basketball standpoint, uh, from, you know, if you're trying to do athletics, always stay in shape and always be ready. Um, I think that'll help. You know, I, I feel like when people get hurt, sometimes they let themselves get out of shape and relax for a little bit and then try to, you know, get up to speed too quick and then end up injuring themselves. So if you stay in shape all year round consistently, you you would do well. <clears throat> and the second one is, uh, I would say, I was reading this book. I can't remember the name of the book, but the book was saying what is possible and what is not possible is not your... It's not you to determine. All you have to do is focus in on what you want to achieve in life and just go out of it because you can worry yourself to death. Oh, this, this I think it's possible or oh, this is not possible. But if you just lock in to what you believe you can do, just go do it, man. I mean, I mean, that that's that, that's that's the key, right? Just just yeah. trust, trust, trust the process, but just lock in and just and just go, because if you fail, trying to reach your goal it's not to me it's not failure it's just like it's just another obstacle that's going that you can learn from and, and uh down the road yeah what does building excellence mean to you well man dang, that's a tough one building excellence in my eyes now that i have two boys is i look at them and, and think that i got to build these boys up to be excellent you know um but you know from a coaching standpoint like my team you know i want us to have a, a rich culture where we trust each other. And I think we can build ex excellence by, you know, having discipline and consistency in your life. You know, um, I know I said that a lot, but I'm a firm believer. If you, if you discipline in your craft and what you're trying to do and be consistent at it every single day, you're going to start to separate yourself from, 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 from everything. So and another cliche that I say all the time is the separations in the preparation. When you when you prepare, you know, you're going to start separating yourself, but you got to put in the work to do that. So, man. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. And and uh, coach, I just want to say thanks for your time. Thanks no for problem, sharing man. your story, but also thanks for I mean, you're a, a great impact on me. And just in that single year that you're out at, at Hall and Hall here in Tulsa. And I know you've been a tremendous influence upon not just myself and our team but the many teams you've been a part of i'm sure the players that you played with the players you played against it's just kind of that example that you set the type of person you are and uh, thanks for also continuing to be a great father husband and focus on the right thing so i'm excited to continue to watch um see what goes on in your life so thanks man i appreciate that hey everyone it's bailey miles thanks again so much for tuning in we hope you found value in the show and if you enjoyed it we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend subscribing on apple or spotify podcast writing a quick review or leaving a five-star rating when you do that it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life leadership and legacy now, if you have any questions thoughts or ideas i'd love to hear from you you can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.